by geography. You heard reference made to the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, Galilee of the nations and Galilee of the Gentiles. And all these names get brought to our attention for a very simple reason. As Matthew records, Jesus moved. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. As you can see, and lucky for us, all these different names effectively refer to the same place. Jesus was moving north, northeast to be a bit more accurate, about 49 minutes by car, which of course they didn't have. The importance of this move is a little hard for us to grasp. After all, our own country has only been around a couple hundred years, and our attention spans only last a couple hundred milliseconds. But as Matthew points out, Jesus' move is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Of course, the prophet Isaiah was writing about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And the land of which Isaiah is speaking traces back another 700 years to the time of Joshua. Which is to say, Jesus' new neighborhood has a 1,400-year history. And it's not good. Those of you who are able to attend the Thursday morning Bible study are about to be richly rewarded because we've recently covered some of the key parts of this history of the place called Galilee. The people of Israel, as you recall, are saved from Pharaoh. They come through the Red Sea. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Judgment befell the unfaithful generation, and then God led Israel into the promised land through Joshua. By God's doing and by God's doing alone, Joshua and the people conquered the majority of the Canaanites and began to inherit the land that God had promised. The tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali split the land in the north that we know as Galilee. And of course, as we also know, after the tribes each inherit their portion in the promised land, they all live happily ever after. Not even close. The tribes of Israel are so unfaithful to Yahweh, their idolatry begins almost immediately. They are instantly unfaithful to the covenant that God established with them on Sinai. They begin to worship the gods of the Gentiles, and so God allows them to be oppressed by the Gentiles. And this was particularly the case up north in the place that Jesus was now moving. In fact, so much so that even though this place in the north belonged to Israel, it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. Isaiah accurately describes Galilee as a place of deep darkness. And those dwelling in Galilee were dwelling in the region and shadow of death, which makes Isaiah's prophetic claim all the more amazing. It is this place of deepest idolatry 
this place of wickedness against God, this place of unimaginable sin, it is this place of profound darkness that the light of the Messiah will show forth. So Isaiah writes and Matthew quotes him, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus moves north to Galilee, and the vast majority of his ministry takes place from there. So it is from this land of darkness that he will shine forth as the light of the world. Isaiah addresses him directly in his prophecy, saying, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. In other words, the work of the Messiah will spring forth from this unlikeliest of all places, in Galilee, in a land filled with 1,400 plus years of darkness, the light of Jesus and his ministry will shine forth. And as Isaiah says, he will break the rod of the oppressor, as on the day of Midian, which is a reference to the book of Judges and a man by the name of Gideon. Gideon was the one who asked for a sign from God. It had to do with the fleece. You remember that? Having been convinced that it was actually God who was speaking with him, Gideon assembled an army of thousands to overthrow Midian, which God took this group of thousands and shrunk it down to a meager little group of only 300 soldiers. God would see to it that Gideon and the 300 would free the land of Zebulun and Naphtali from Midian. Even though Gideon and his men were outnumbered 450 to 1, they would break the rod of the oppressor. So Isaiah tells us that the Messiah will break the rod of the oppressor as on the day of Midian. And Matthew shows us that this is exactly what Jesus is doing. But he's not doing it with a sword or a spear, but rather with his word. Matthew tells us that Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand which might not strike us as all that meaningful. But what Jesus is actually announcing is that the kingdom of Satan has come to an end. The kingdom of darkness and sin and death has come to an end. Repent, Jesus says. Don't go down in flames with the devil and his kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and receive your true king, the Son of God, for his rule is not darkness, but light, not sin, but forgiveness and righteousness, not death, but life, not satanic oppression,
but godly freedom. So we see Jesus moving north and now in that land where Gideon once was. And if you're paying attention, you'll see that he too is gathering an army, not of 300, but only 12. First, Simon and Andrew, then James and John, fishermen, not soldiers. But with these and the other disciples, Jesus will conquer the whole world. His gospel will go forth, and his kingdom, which is not of this world, will spread throughout the entire world. And wherever his kingdom is, there the kingdom of the devil comes to naught. So Matthew tells us that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people. In other words, Jesus is undoing the work of the devil. From Galilee, his fame spreads up north throughout all of Syria, which is the land of the Gentiles. And his fame spreads south throughout all of Israel, the land of the Jews. The scope of Jesus' work encompasses all people in all places, and it originates in one of the darkest places of all, Galilee of the Gentiles, land of idolatry. But it was indeed the case that the people dwelling in darkness saw a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And in fact, that includes you. Jesus isn't afraid of the darkness of this world. He isn't afraid of the darkness around you. And he isn't afraid of the darkness in you. He doesn't recoil from your idolatry and sins and rebellion against God. Nor does he tremble at the evil one who oppresses you. He is true God. And he is your true king. He is light for you. He is forgiveness for you. He has come to break the power of your oppressor, and he does it on the cross for you. For there on the cross, when the land was covered in thick darkness between noon and three, the light of the world shone brightest of all. So brightly does he shine from the cross that even now, he scatters all darkness, even that darkness which is inside of us and that darkness which has been done by us. All of it is driven away by his light. In fact, his light so encompasses and envelops us that God sees in us nothing but the light of Jesus. Being baptized into Jesus means being baptized into the light. Not only does his light shine all your sins away, but the light of the world also enlightens and illuminates you. This is why very early on in the church, baptism was called enlightenment, or illumination, as Justin Martyr calls it. God is light. 
And because in baptism we are born of God, then it is also the case that we are born of light. And so the Scriptures call us sons of light and children of light. And St. Paul says something even more remarkable. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of the light. So it is, in fact, true for us. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for we who dwell in the region and shadow of death, on us the light of Christ has shined and dawned. By moving up north into the deep, darkness of Galilee, and shining forth with all his ministry and with the glorious light of his gospel, Jesus also shows how it is for each one of us Christians. He moves into the deep darkness of our hearts and shines forth in us so brightly that because of him, we are not only called sons of light, we are called light itself. So we must keep this in mind as we go through the humdrum and the gray and the darkness of this life. With children clamoring all around the house and destroying all the things we think are important, we come to learn what is truly important. Because Christ shines upon us and in us, we shine upon others. And at work with coworkers clamoring all around the office, stepping on our faces just to climb up one more rung in the corporate ladder, bothering every last thing in us that needs to be bothered, come to see that the real problem is our own vanity and ego. But because Christ shines upon us and in us, we shine upon others. And so it is for all of those around us. Even the person you can't seem to forgive because they've done so much against you. And yet, how much have you done against God? So in this way, a person's sins against you drive you to again see God's grace and His light which blots out and drives away all your darkness because Christ shines upon you and in you. You may shine upon those and even those who sin against you. It is, in fact, a theology of geography, but it's quite profound. The light that shines from Galilee now shines in our hearts wherever we go. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise for the offertory.